Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, I'm looking for my good friend Seth Robinson. Seth? I'm here. What's up? Hey, buddy. Uh, it's Friday. It's a sunny fall day. The leaves are finally turning here in New England. They're late this year. Uh, I thought it was never going to happen. They were just going to drop off all of a sudden, but we have color coming in. Uh, looking forward to the weekend. How about you? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, too. We don't have color here, um, but and it's going to be raining all weekend, I think. But yeah. uh, I think maybe staying inside all weekend will be just fine. Um, so, yeah, but the, the color I've... I've seen like even just today, I'm like, you know, surfing around doing some, you know, research and looking at some things. And like, it seems like every news site is like, look at all the colors and there's drone footage and everything. So um, it's that time, I guess. Yeah, it is. It is for sure. It's uh, one of my favorite times of the year. Do you see a lot of influx of people like right where you are or is it do they go other places? No, we do. I mean, the highway, I mean, the, the roads, the, the main thoroughfares get busy with the tour buses and all of that around this time of the year. They're going further north. I mean, we have beautiful foliage right here, but it's not it's not a tourist destination, mm-hmm. my town. But um, we're at, at being in southern New Hampshire, we're kind of the entryway to the North Kingdom where everybody is really heading. And by when I say North King and Kingdom, these states are so small that you're just driving an hour or two hours up the up the highway. Right. And then you can get off and you're in the mountains and it's really pretty up there. Or if you're going over to Vermont, um, you cut over and, and you're in the middle of the mountains over there, which is really pretty. But yeah, it gets really touristy. Um, and we get a lot of Europeans, believe it or not. A lot of a lot of Brits come over um, and and see to see the colors, and they're all excited about leaf peeping, is what they call it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's funny, but uh, it's it's a nice time of the year. We're gonna be warm this weekend, though, like almost in the eight, almost eighty, high seventies. This little Indian summer uh, thing going on here, which is always kind of nice because then all of a sudden it gets freezing real fast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, lots, well. of sports, lots of sports to watch too this weekend. So if you're stuck indoors, you know you got your college football, you got baseball playoffs, you've got uh, regular football. Uh, hockey season started, and I think the basketball NBA preseason is almost over tonight. Maybe it might be the last game. Oh no, I think it goes a while. Like I know the season starts on the 16th. Um, okay. And so I think there's still preseason games and like exhibitions against teams from other countries or whatever um but i don't pay very much attention to that but i'm i'm looking forward to it in a couple weeks looking forward to that season getting started i don't i don't care too much about hockey which puts me in the minority around here um as i'm sure it would there in new england so yeah hockey's sort of big here it's funny because you're i know you're really into college football but um college football it's it's a people are into it here but college hockey gets more attention people mm. just yeah all the universities here are real good in hockey where olivia goes at uvm they they have a great hockey team and they don't even have a football team um and and likewise like bc and bu and the boston schools all have great hockey teams so if you're into college sports this time of the year around here a lot of it is devoted to hockey hmm. yeah interesting huh yeah well we are going to talk about security today right we are, yeah. We've yeah. Uh, we I, we come to security. It seems like every so often uh, on the podcast, which I think makes sense. I I, I oh. don't know that I would call security the 
the hottest topic because I don't know, you know, it's other things are a little bit more interesting. They've got a little bit more hype around them. But I think cons- security is the consistently most sought after topic. I, you know, I think IT pros uh, are always interested in security. Channel firms are looking at security. You know, a lot of them are becoming specialized in security. And so, so it's really hard to get away from any security discussion on a week to week basis, much less, you know, over a few months. Yeah, I mean, in my my recent State of the Channel study that we talked about uh, recently, the we asked you know what, what the expectations were for uh, various solutions and services um, in terms of revenue, and the number one revenue driver expectation was going to be around security over the next two years. So, like I said, it's it, it can it can be uh, it, it, we talk about it so much that people's eyes can maybe glaze over, but it's so important and it really crosses paths with all the other technologies that we talk about or, you know, business operations that we talk about. It's kind of the blanket thing that permeates throughout. Right. Um, So, and, and, and probably the most, obviously the most critical thing because you can have everything else going right in your organization. And if you've got a big security problem, well, so much for all the rest of that stuff. Well, it's become much more critical, right? Like this, this story from this week about, Chinese chips making their way onto motherboards that are going into servers at Apple and Amazon. I, mm-hmm. you know, have been looking into it. I know you've been looking into it. Uh, I feel like I don't know quite what the real story is. It's really interesting. You've got like really well-sourced journalism on the one hand, and then you've got these really strong, vehement denials from the companies on the other hand. And, you know, from a hardware background, it's it's very suspicious of thinking like, you know, how exactly would this get into the process? And all of these boards and everything are very, you know, finely engineered. And so like adding things on has a huge potential to like make them actually just not function. And so it's it's a very strange thing. But, you know, the the reason that it's so scary is you think about how much data is flowing around, how much everything just relies on data now. And you can see that that's where like the interest is going, whether we're talking about like just cyber attacks, people looking to make, you know, some financial windfall from from getting some data or at kind of a country level, geopolitical level. Right. Yeah, no, it is scary. And the fact that, like you said, and I, and I knew nothing of this, your your background is, is right here in, in, in uh, developing these kinds of silicon. But you know, the, the accounts that I've read are saying, you know, this is so much more, uh, the hardware aspect of this is so much more troubling than, you know, the many software um, security incidents that we that we hear about um, in that the difficulty of actually pulling this off is off the charts. Right. And the fact, like, to just to do it to one motherboard and have it successfully take and not screw up the entire system, but how to do that on a supply chain, like in an assembly plant at scale to multiple, you know, thousands of devices or hundreds of devices. I don't know how many were actually affected. That's, that is a very calculated, not one dude uh, effort, you know? And mm-hmm. so, you know, that that's what's scary about it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, as, as wacky as the political climate is and, and for as many things that are going around, not just in our country, but, uh, you know, in a lot of countries, a lot of, you know, sense of nationalism and, wanting to to do things you know in the borders of the country there are like a lot of economic reasons why that might not be the best but you know here when you begin to look at this i think it really is going to give you pause to say you know if we're outsourcing this to somewhere else and there is any kind of potential for this type of thing to happen what kind of safeguards need to be put in place and then as you're putting in those safeguards how does that change the economic picture of outsourcing in the first place 
generally with security. And I think, you know, we're going to talk about my new report here pretty soon, but the level of investment that's needed is rising. And as that level of investment rises, that just begins to change the dynamics of a lot of other decisions. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. It's going it, to, there's definitely a, uh, a push-pull now on our little tug-of-war, I guess, on nationalism versus globalism. And these are the kinds of things that uh, make you scratch your head. Right. And Yeah, they really do. Well, uh, you just mentioned that we're going to talk about your study today, 2018 Trends in Cybersecurity, um, Building Effective Security Teams. Um, I read the report. It's fantastic, as always. And you bring up a lot. I know we've done how many iterations of this study have we done at this point? I mean, we try to do a security study every year. There might have been one year that we tried to take a year off of security, and uh, it just, you know, it didn't work. I mean, almost any other topic, I think you can kind of take a, a year off. But security, people are always looking for something fresh. And certain trends don't change that much year over year, but there is a lot going on. And I think with this year... Going back a couple years to that framework white paper that I wrote, where part of the concept in that framework white paper is that security as a function is beginning to separate from the general infrastructure function. And I think everyone knows this as they look at like a Fortune 500 company that's got a CISO and a team of security people doing all security all day long, but that hasn't translated down into like the SMB space yet. And so this notion of forming a security team and and the way that you would mix internal and external resources and the way that you would construct that team and then measure it uh, is, I think, a really interesting one. Uh, you know, it might not be happening in a really widespread way today, but I think it does provide a glimpse of what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, I found, I thought, um, and I've read, you know, your past security reports, I thought this year's really teased out some new things. And, you know, things that we maybe haven't covered or haven't covered in such detail before. I love this whole team concept. Pretty much saying, you know, security is not only is it strategic and incredibly important, but it has now grown to be so much more complex and sophisticated. There's certainly there's no one approach. Um, simply being, you know, securing your perimeter is is not the only way to go anymore. I and mean, we can't just build a wall, mm-hmm. to use use a political phrase, <laughs> and keep everybody out. Um, but uh, but it's, it, it's, it's a much more uh, sophisticated operation. And I think this concept of having teams underscores that, is that you can't just do it alone. And I thought it was interesting in the report where, you know, most of the respondents in your report, um, these companies believe that security is definitely an internal function, something that they have to own. But at the same time, these same companies and a majority of them, I think it was three quarters or something like that, said, you know, but we also engage with third parties to help us with security as well. So it's it's definitely this um, coordinated effort among different entities, which I think, uh, like I said, underscores how important security is and how much more complex it has become. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found that dynamic very interesting. Yeah, uh, companies are definitely when if you talk about a security center of operations, uh, most companies, you know, would have some concept of that. And they would say, you know, here is person or the team that's driving our security efforts. And most companies have that internal, which I think is going to make sense going into the future that this is 
critical part of maintaining business operations. Uh, and so you're going to want someone very close to the business, but that could just be one person that's organizing efforts uh, and to actually leverage the technical skill that's needed or maybe to bring in the education for the workforce, that's going to be third parties. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of opportunity here for companies to consider what skills, what employees do they want to have in-house that are watching their security efforts and maybe you know taking part in it and then what skills are they going to outsource and is that going to be a partner network instead of a single partner i think there are a lot of ways to mix and match here uh, the complexity definitely fits into this and it's gotten more complex just on the technical side uh, you know like you said it's not just the secure perimeter anymore it's not just firewall and antivirus you've got all these new tools as you're moving to the cloud and as you're trying to secure the data and the applications individually rather than relying on them being inside of a, of a corporate network. Um, a lot of new tools coming in and a lot of new technical complexity. Then you've also got like all the process that you have to do in terms of formal risk analysis or maintaining compliance. And again, at a really large organization, you're probably going to have people dedicated to that compliance part, especially in an high, uh, a highly regulated industry. And then you've got this education piece that needs to come in that you're working with the workforce, the entire workforce, because everyone's using technology now. And they probably need some level of you know basic security awareness, and then probably some level of ongoing refresher about you know the threats that are happening, how to notice a phishing attack, what you should be doing on social media. All of those types of things need to be covered, uh, and so you can see it quickly becomes something that one company, you know, one small team is probably not going to handle on their own. Yeah, I think you covered this in um, in the in the research, but I'm just wondering on and sort of a rating scale in general, how well are companies here in the U.S. I guess um, doing with respect to uh, their security posture? To me, if I recall in reading it, I mean there's there's a subset that really think they're doing a great job, but there are, most companies are on the Midland Affair scale. Would that be fair? Yeah, you, you don't see too many companies that say, you know, we're completely unsatisfied with our security. No, um, they don't. But you, like you say, you don't see that many on the other end of the spectrum saying we're completely satisfied here. And as you and I know, when, when these surveys come in, you, you've got people that tend to, you know, maybe stretch the, the truth a little bit or, or, or overestimate their capabilities. So even the number of companies that we might collect that say they're completely satisfied, you, you feel pretty certain that you know a security auditor could go in there and find some vulnerabilities at, at a lot of these companies. And there would be very few that are truly on top of things and, and really following a, a long list of best practices uh, and maintaining a strong modern security posture. I guess it's kind of, you know, you're just never done with security. That's the reality. It's not something that you, there's an end um, that you're getting to, and then you can say, we won. It's just a constant evolving challenge for a lot of companies, and you can be as best equipped as possible, and that's that's wonderful. That doesn't mean that you're not vulnerable. And I think one of the, the, the things you teased out in the report was you have to take that realization into into account that you're just, you are always vulnerable. You will never be able to shut the doors completely, and so the way you plan and the type of skills that you incorporate into your workplace should be aligned with that way of thinking. The, this is net, we are always going, something bad is always going to happen. Um, it's an, it's an inevitability as opposed to, well, if we get to this point, we might be able to just say we've, we've solved our security issues, period. Right. And 
you know, I think that gets into the level of investment that I was talking about before, where, you know, companies have typically looked at it like, okay, what are we doing for security, firewall, antivirus, maybe a few other things, but, you know, here's our budget line item, and it might have to grow in a year that we're upgrading our firewall or whatever. Um, but other than that, it's kind of, you know, maintaining these tools and, and maybe a few other activities. And now it's, it's, it's much heavier activity. And especially when you consider it's not just trying to prevent things, right. which has really been the mindset for a long time, but it's taking a proactive approach and doing things like penetration testing uh, or outside assessments, looking for vulnerabilities. You know, all of those things really play into keeping up to speed, making sure that you're on top of things, making sure that you know how to detect incidents within your network and how you're able to respond to them. And, and again, the, the complexity along with the critical nature really just suggests that there there should be more investment in this. Now, the trick with that investment is if it's becoming a business imperative, you want to know what you're getting back for, for your money. And so there haven't always been great metrics around security. Yeah. And this was uh, kind of where the, the report closed to just land on the metrics and say, Rather than just saying, hey, we don't think we've had a security breach in a while, everything must be fine, there have to be more proactive metrics, like what percent of our systems have been upgraded to the latest operating system? What percent of our systems have passed an audit check? What percent of our workforce has gone through education? Uh, and, and making sure that those those metrics are in place and that everyone agrees to them and that they are showing kind of the level of success around any security efforts that are in place. Yeah, I'm thinking about small companies, so SMBs, all of this seems to be almost beyond their reach. I can't imagine they have that many dedicated security professionals inside their organization. I, I certainly find it hard to believe that a lot of these very small companies, which make up the majority of companies in the United States, are doing these kinds of metrics that you talk about. They would work with third parties. I know a lot of small companies, but again, they're resource constrained in terms of just cash flow and money. So did the study take a look at, I know you did do what we always do, segmentation, but how the differences between how SMBs are trying to tackle this stuff and then obviously the larger organizations with big pockets um, have to take a very different approach. Right. The The biggest difference right off the bat would be the use of internal resources versus external resources that you can imagine that a small company might not even have much of a formal IT team, much mm -hmm. less someone that's dedicated to security. They they tend to look at their partners and their solution providers. And in many cases, these solution providers are the ones that they've used for general IT for a long time. And And this is where I think if you're an SMB, you have to start trying to have that discussion with whatever partners you have. Uh, and if that's a single partner that's doing general IT and kind of being the virtual IT department, talk to them about security and what types of metrics should be in place, what types of skills are needed to secure today's networks. And if, if that company doesn't quite have the right skills, then it doesn't mean you have to walk away from them. They could still do a lot of general IT stuff, and then maybe you would go find you know, someone else to do the security piece. And again, the, the, the budget constraints come into this, you know, in a big way. Yeah. Uh, but you have to start measuring it against, you know, what is the budget implication if we don't do these things? Yeah, for a small company to have some sort of major security issue is going to be much more devastating than a large, simply because large companies can recover more easily by virtue of size and, and, and all of that. But you've talked a lot about skills, and that's a big part of the report. And I'm wondering, what 
is the impetus for needing? I mean, it sounds like the 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 type of skills and the and the necessity for uh, you know additional skills beyond what has been the the typical has increased. And I'm curious as to what's driving that, and what are some of these special skills that you're talking about? I know you talked about, gosh, now I can't remember how what it's called, the testing one. What is that? We Penetration did. testing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. I know. And we have uh, We have. Uh, do, what do we have? We have a certification in that now. We we do. Yeah, we we have a penetration testing certification. Right. We also have a cybersecurity analytics certification, and that really is the other side of the fence. So, right. Penetration testing is kind of new, being proactive. Cybersecurity analytics, I think, is really the the next stage of evolution in providing defenses, and that's applying analytics to your network in order to detect anomalous behavior uh, rather than relying on, you know, a flag or a notification from the tools that you've installed. And so really, you know, those two certifications that we have serve as kind of complementary pieces um, for, for people that are pursuing security. People would typically kind of go down one path or another after they've taken like our security plus and kind of gotten the general concepts behind security. They might begin to specialize down more of a um, an offensive path towards penetration testing or maybe more of a defensive path towards cybersecurity analytics. Um, so I think you've got those two things that are really standing out as as the, the branching pathways that companies are looking at um, mm-hmm. within just standard technical work. You've got, you know, your network security, uh, your device security, and now you've got like data loss prevention tools that could be applied to data as data is moving from an on-premises data center into a cloud provider onto mobile devices. Um, Obviously, a firewall is not going to be sufficient for that. And so DLP can help track all of those things. You've got identity and access management that kind of tries to perform that function of the firewall of making sure that the people inside of it are credentialed. It's now doing that credentialing, again, wherever that person might be, you know, whatever application they're trying to access. uh, It's trying to understand, you know, what that identity is and what accesses they should have. Um, And then there's uh, several other tools uh, that are kind of popping up. But it's interesting when you look at these technical skills, you, you can see uh, some, some differentiation when companies say, we believe that we have these skills relatively strong or relatively current in our organization, and these are the ones that we need that we don't have relatively strong. And then when you ask them, well, which ones do you want to improve? They want to improve all of them. So even the ones that they think are relatively strong, they know enough about it to know exactly where the deficiencies are, and so they want to try to close those up. And then in some of the skills that are relatively weak, they don't know much about it, and they just know that they need more of it, uh, and so they want to improve those skills. And so they're looking for improvement really across the spectrum. Uh, and again, that that becomes kind of a heavy lift either from an investment standpoint, uh, especially if you're going to start looking at external parties to provide those skills, or just from a, a time standpoint of the resources that you're talking about if you're trying to allow them to train and build up their skills uh, and maybe get certified. Yeah, it's certainly a lot. I think it is a heavy lift. You're right. Um, But my takeaway also is that from looking at this from a workforce perspective and also from a third-party provider perspective, it's an enormous opportunity. seems to me the, the level of skills and the number of skills in the fabric of, of security as a whole is now so great that you could carve 
a bunch of different niches out. You're not just a security person. You're, you know, the, you're specializing in DLP or specializing in, in this penetration testing or whatever it happens to be. And you can, you know, hang a shingle out and be good at that. Or if you're somebody who's entering the workforce or trying to retrain to get a new job, a ton of opportunity here to become a de facto expert in one of these security areas that are in great demand. So that's a plus from a employment standpoint. I guess, though, as you as you said, from a business standpoint, if you're the one that's got got to pay for all of this, it does become a cost benefit analysis that you got to do, and it can be resource intensive. Right, right, and so that that analysis, I think, is a is a much more important part of providing security now. And some companies are going to kind of have the the stomach to spend a little bit more, and some some won't. But I, I think even to get those companies to spend a little bit more is where that analysis comes in. And I think you're right. There's a ton of opportunity. There's just a ton of things happening in security. I mean, this whole month is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So it's a great time to put out the report. There are also a lot of other things happening inside of CompTIA. Our advocacy team obviously focuses on cybersecurity and the skills needed and some cybersecurity around national infrastructure. We have a security community uh, that gets together and talks about these things primarily from a solution provider perspective and talking about how you can provide security services to um, your clients. Uh, and obviously in the, the IT pro space, we've got our certifications and we've got lots of discussion you know, happening there uh, and, and focus on being a security expert uh, and growing your skills and becoming more important to your business as businesses are viewing security as a much more critical part of their operations. As well they should. And for those who want to read your full report, uh, 2018 Trends in Cybersecurity, this is open to all members in the general public, correct? Yeah, it's actually, this one we made widely available. Um, So you don't even have to do registered user for this one because of Cybersecurity Month, and we just want to get the word out there. Uh, There's also a slide share out there. I just put that one up today. I was a little bit behind on it, but I got to it. So. Yeah, so the full report on comptia.org. There's a slide share, and uh, go check it out. Yeah, definitely. It's a great report and um, uh, interesting and very important topic. With that, I'm going to go off to look at the leaves outside my window. All right. Well, that sounds good. Uh, Enjoy that, and I will talk to you next time. Sounds good, Seth. Bye-bye.